Thanks, Joan. Thanks, Matt and the team. Well, we're working our way through the Beatitudes, and the one that we've come to this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the, are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Similar to the Beatitudes that we have looked at previously, this seems an absurd statement from Jesus. We would expect, perhaps, blessed are the high achievers, blessed are the go-getters, blessed are those who push their way to the front, for they will inherit the earth. But Jesus says the meek, the meek. Well, aren't they the weak ones, the shy ones, the ones who are last, the ones who are at the back of the queue? I'm going to teach you some Hebrew this morning. And in Hebrew... The first three Beatitudes, there's a word in each, and they sound very similar. So the word for poor in Hebrew is ani, ani. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the ani. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn is the word anar. And blessed are the meek is anor, anor, meek. So we have ani, anar, anor. There we go. You can say you speak Hebrew now. Well, three words anyway. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is another one. It's interesting that Jesus uses these, these words in the Hebrew. And of course, we do a similar thing, don't we? If we say similar sounding words, then they're easy to remember. Slip, slop, slap, seek, slide. There you go. We all know that one, don't we? When I was working in radio, there was a commercial that I produced to encourage people to wear seat, uh, put their seatbelts on. Click, clack, front and back. Oh, how many times did I hear that? Jesus uses similar things. Their words are sounding similar so that they are easy to remember. The ani, the ana, the anor, anor. Of course, the Old Testament prophets, they used a similar thing to get their point across. Because in their language, it was much more spoken than written. And so it was easy to remember these little hooks that we can think about. Did you realize that we are the most literary generation that have ever been on this earth right now? Right now. People write more now than they have ever done in the past. And you know what the key thing is why they do that? Texting. Texting. Who speaks to anybody these days? Send them a text. Most literary generation that has ever been on the earth. Anyway, back to our text. Jesus simile. He does presents a catchy sounding statement or a clever choice of words to uh, help us to grasp and remember the ani, the ana, and the anor, the poor, the mourn, and those who are meek. And also I think that by using these very similar sounding words, Jesus is making a connection with all three. The poor, as we've seen, are those who have absolutely nothing, not even the basic necessities of life, and they need others to be charitable toward them so that they can just live from day to day. The poor are they. The mourners are those who have no one. No one to look to but God, that they have lost perhaps someone who is dear to them or something that is dear to them, and so they only have God to turn to. And what about the meek, the meek? 
Well, they, I think, are those who recognise that in themselves they are nothing. They've ceased trying to be satisfied with who they are and their own efforts and discover that the real self-esteem is found in their relationship with God. Another word for me, and I'm sure you've heard this heard, uh, said before, is those who are humble. Those who are humble. They've surrendered their lives to God, realising that in themselves they are socially and economically poor and powerless. It is to those that Jesus is speaking. Those who have come to an end in themselves. So how do we rephrase this beatitude? Oh, what joy it is to come to the end of myself and to find God. Lasting happiness, living in a continued state of blessedness is not found in things or people but, and not even in ourselves. We tend to think, don't we, that we can be satisfied in and of ourselves, that we can find satisfaction. And for some people, it just takes a few attempts at this and then they discover their disappointment that that's not to be so. Others, it takes a little bit longer. Sadly, for many in the world today, I'm sure you would agree, they're continually searching for lasting joy and contentment, but always in the wrong places. They're all either looking at themselves, how can I be more happy, more happy, think about it, change my thinking. Or they're looking toward others, that person can give me great joy and lasting joy that I need. Or they're looking for some possession or experience, anything but a relationship with God. Jesus tells us here that lasting joy can be found. I would imagine we've all experienced rejection at some point in our life. Relationship that's gone sour. An employer has come to you and said, time to finish up. We can't have you working here any longer. A friendship that's turned bad. A family rift, maybe. Even death. Even death itself is some kind, of react, some kind of rejection that we can no longer be with that person anymore. One commentator I read said, put it this way, he said, Our treasures, whether of things or of people, which had been our pride and joy, are taken from us. We stand beside the grave of them, gazing in on vacancy and emptiness, and we think that we can never be happy again. If we think that money will make us happy, and that a man's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions, then we're in for a rude shock, aren't we? It was a band, I think they became quite famous, and they sang a song, Money Can't Buy You Love. So we may look to friendships instead. But we have to admit that others sometimes let us down. They don't live up to our expectations. Our expectations, we think that they should own also. When they don't come through for us, then we get disappointed in them. 
keeping to time that's a big one for me keep to time I always like to be early and I get a little bit annoyed when I'm having to wait for somebody else but that's me what about returning something that you've borrowed or they've borrowed keeping confidences when others don't live up to our expectations then we feel let down and disappointed we might even ask of ourselves how could they do that to me <laughs> sometimes we need someone to come through for us some crisis perhaps we need their assistance but we discover that whatever they do is never enough they have not experienced what I'm experienced or they've experienced it in a different way and sure they do their best they try to help me in every way that I can but it always seems to fall a little bit short the unkindness unkindest act of all of course is when those whom we deeply love are taken from us and we regret that we didn't tell them enough how much we loved them so what is our response well we might consider life is too hard no one can really be trusted a hundred percent so I'm going to hold everything and everyone at a short distance away from me I'm going to become self-sufficient I'm going to cultivate and nurture my own inner self my own mental well-being my emotional state even my spiritual life it's all up to me it's up to me the world is a cheat the only hope I have is to be true to myself that's what the Eastern religions promote by the way find your inner self find what makes you content don't let everything that ex external have the power of play over you and so strive every day a little bit more a little bit more to become a better person I was reminded of a book I used to love it when I was a little 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 kid about a little engine that used to say I think I can I think I can I think I can oh you must have read the same book if I just try a little bit more I can get to the top what's Jesus saying Jesus is saying that as Christians we live a countercultural life I think I do I really seriously believe that every every person needs to come to a point in their life like Paul did in Romans chapter 7 when he said these words I know that in me in my human self there dwells no good thing to search within ourself to find contentment lasting satisfaction is an absurdity to think that self me I can find enough love within myself to love myself and I don't really need too much the love of others or to be in a relationship that's what's going to give me lasting contentment to know its place in the world self and that it is needy that it's tried external things and people but has brought me to dissatisfaction then what happens is now I turn in on myself to meet my own needs 
And I'm fine. Emptiness. There's a list that Jesus gave in Mark 7. We don't like it. But it's the truth. We don't like hearing it. And Jesus tells us this. He says, from within, from the heart, evil intentions come. Some of these I can go cross, cross, cross. No, that's not me, that's not me. But there's others I go, yeah, actually put a tick against that one. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. Jesus says all these things come from within and defile a person. We don't like hearing that, do we? We don't like hearing those words. We want to push them aside and we go, no, that's not me, that's not me. We try to build ourselves up, convince ourselves, I'm not really like that. Look at all the good I've done. I'm not such a bad person. Look at all the people I've helped in my life. We're honest. We'd have to go, you know, that one, yep, that's a tick. That's me right there. I was thinking, I was wondering, you know, there's some people whom we meet and they're always talking about their own accomplishments. They're, own, they're always talking about themselves and what they've achieved. I'm not no psychologist, but I was thinking, I wonder if they do that to build themselves up. There's this need of, you know, I need to project myself forward all the time and tell everybody else, you know, how good I am because then that makes me feel good inside. Maybe, I don't know. The meek, the humble, Jesus says, well, they're the opposite. They know that self-worth is not found in trying to convince others of their own worth. In fact, they've come to the very end of themselves and they don't need to live in this pretend world any longer. Like the psalmist says in 51 verse 6, they know that God desires truth in the inward being. They've learned that they don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore. That true worth is not found in ourselves, but in a relationship with God. And then knowing my true worth, because I'm in a relationship with him, then that outflows towards others. The person who is meek, who is humble, has realized that real worth is only measured in a relationship with Christ. That their value is determined by the value that God has for them. And that is real self-esteem. That person is not just another member of the human race, but has become a somebody. Moses had to learn this. For the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's court, he thought he was somebody. I am so good, I am so great, I'm in Pharaoh's court. And we know the story. He killed an Egyptian and he ran away to the desert. Midian looking after his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. Discovering that he was a nobody. And God, an angel of the Lord, appeared to him in the burning bush. 
and gave him that call and commission. And though Moses, no, 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 I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, then he realised he was somebody with God. Somebody who became a nobody, who became a somebody with God. William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury, said these words, What I am worth is what I am worth to God. That is a marvellous great deal, for he gave his only beloved son to die for me. That person, to come to that point where you know my real worth, my real value is what God has determined on me, for me, is an important place, an important position to know that our place is secure in Christ, that our self-esteem is grounded not in what I think of myself, not in what others think of myself, but how God considers me. Criticise that person and they'll probably agree. Yeah, you're right, I'm not perfect. (laughs) I do have faults, I do do the wrong things, but I know this. God loves me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A person doesn't have to justify themselves. God has justified them. Brian shared that with us. They don't need to try and prove. You're wrong. You have me all wrong. I'm a much better person than what you think I am. They don't get their back up or stand their ground. Their security is in God. They rest in him. They know that they remain in him and his love. The Old Testament uses the word meek. Interesting that it uses it sometimes in the context of those who are under the, under the domination of others. Job chapter 24 talks about the ruthless make life such a misery for the meek or the humble because they have no means of standing up for themselves. It's also used of those who bear misfortune without complaining because they deserve no better. 2 Samuel chapter 16, David's men wanted to kill Shammai for insulting David, the king. Yet this is David's response. If he is cursing me because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so by me killing him? The word meekness in the Old Testament also came to describe someone who quietly and without resistance submits themselves to God, to whatever treatment God has for them. Zephaniah 3.12, the Lord says to Israel, he will remove the proud, exultant ones and leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Their protection and security is in the Lord. Meek, humble, lowly. If 
find acceptance and acceptability in God, not in their own merit, but God's loving kindness. And a meek person is not a weak person, but a strong person. Moses is described in Numbers 12, verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses wasn't a weakling. He was not someone who's always putting himself down. He was a nation builder. We think, perhaps, that a meek person, you know, is a doormat. Others come to wipe their feet on, timid and fears what others think of them. But no, the Bible doesn't say that at all. Moses and Jesus are described as meek. Moses, one who defied the might of Egypt. And Jesus, who had no fear in front of a Roman official. Both of them absolutely fearless, surrendering their will to God the Father so that God's will might become their will. So if you come across a truly meek, humble person, you'll find they're strong, yet gentle in strength. They're free, yet dependable in freedom. Good, but unassuming in goodness. Human, but Christ-like in their humanity. A meek person cannot be copied or imitated. A meek person has found that Christ is their sufficiency. He is all they need for a life of godliness. The other thing I've found also doing researching this word, the word meek, is that whenever it occurs in the Bible, it always points to someone who is peacemaking. Matthew 21, verse 5, quoting from Zechariah 9, 9, speaks of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. See, your king is coming to you, his cause won, his victory gained, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A king that would go into another city if he was going for war, he would ride on a horse. If a king was going into a city to make peace, he'd ride on a donkey. This is how Jesus comes into Jerusalem, to make peace. So bringing all those nuances of meaning together into one, we see the focus of what Jesus is saying is that we need to surrender ourselves to God and we discover that in him he is the God of peace. Ani, ana, anor. Those who have nothing, those who have no one, those who are nobodies, come to Jesus and discover peace with God and the peace of God. And then the last bit, the last bit of that beatitude, why do the meek, why do the humble inherit the earth? Because in Christ, in Christ in them, they have discovered the meaning of what life here on earth is all about. Father, what is your will? Through your Holy Spirit, may you do it in 
and through me. And like the psalmist, the meek, the humble, can say this, Psalm 16 verse 2, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Let's pray. Lord, the Christian life as we know is not a once only decision and that's it, but it's every day. Lord, what is your will for me? By your Holy Spirit living within, Lord, may you work in us, work through us so that your kingdom will be here on this earth that others will come to see Christ in us and give you the glory, that our self-esteem is not found within ourselves, it's not found within others, it's not found in possessions, it's found in your value of us. That your love demonstrated on the cross, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Power us now, fill us now with your Holy Spirit as we go out into the world so that others would say of us, because it's you living in us, there is a humble person who seeks nothing else but to do God's will. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. stand together as we close our service this morning with this last song.
of the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.